Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of the Light Shed podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Rich Greenfield and Walter Pisick. And that was just, I think, our fifth or sixth outtake for the intro. Apparently, what is that I that we're listening to, Brandon? A little too slow. That that was from last week's Beacons Jam, um, which is a virtual concert series that Trey Anastasio has been doing in New York at the Beacon Theater. Do they get and, good viewership? And tonight's the, tonight's the last one, but so it's it's actually been free. Oh. But um, they've been raising money for charity, and they've done I don't know somewhere around a million dollars a night, which is yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Oh no, no I'm wrong. I screwed that up. It's not been a million. I think it's been a hundred thousand. Okay, that, <laughs> that, that makes more sense. And how many people they've been getting watching? Any idea? I haven't. I haven't looked, but I think it's been pretty substantial. It's been broadcast only on Twitch. And um, it's it's been fun. And how's the experience been? We've talked um, about the, this a little bit before, but like, is it getting better, or is it kind of the same as your past concert experiences that are virtual? Well, I, it's obviously very different because you're not there in person. Sure. Um, but I think the band has done a very good job of adapting to it being virtual. So there's a lot of comments that come in on Twitch, and they've been reading the comments, reading the donations making it that's cool making it feel, fun feel more personal yeah i mean there's been ongoing jokes as there always are in fish related things uh a lot of them about folding laundry and watching <laughs> in your underwear stuff like that <laughs> things things you cannot do during right. the real concert there's a benefit. experience there's a yeah. benefit yeah that's like i was watching the dog show yesterday for thanksgiving and and you got to see um the announcers dogs at home and see them playing with their dogs at homes because it was virtual it was great I yes didn't, i didn't really like the, the who they picked as the winner but that's a different story who Which was one? the who was the winner this time it was like i forget it was like some big but houndy this isn't even like the dog. real dog show it, the westminster no, is the real no, dog right. show the that's right. around like valentine's this is the thanksgiving day. one which is still pretty good Rich, give you something got? to do after the parade. Uh, we're sure. going to start with today. We're actually going to go back and sort of do a um, follow up to last week, because after last week's podcast where Brandon was talking about, you know, getting some help about was sports betting impacting ratings. We actually got someone from our listenership who reached out to help Brandon. So why don't you walk we, us through this, we, Brandon? We actually had a few people respond um, to to what sports betting looks like on in the states where it's it's legalized or sorry what viewership looks like in the states where sports betting is legalized and the most interesting one i thought came from chris swan who sent in these heat maps from comscore and i think the the first one is from the seattle arizona um, national game and the second one is from the new england baltimore game and if you look at the states where sports betting is legalized, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, New Hampshire, Colorado, Illinois, I think, it, it's pretty apparent that those states are actually very blue, which means that there isn't very much viewership um, compared to the rest of the map, which is actually counterintuitive to what you would think because you would think in 
in states where sports betting is legal on mobile, people would be watching because they're betting. But it doesn't appear to have been that impactful, at least for it, these games. Yeah, it's just amazing. It, I mean, and, this, and look, this, 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 is, this connection is crazy, like in terms of like betting not driving higher ratings. And now this, the, the, this thing that was sent to us. Well, but but think about it. There is lots of ways to keep up with your game on your phone. I mean, an ESPN app or any mobile yeah, app for scores. But, like, but sports betting supposed to be the panacea of sorts for sports viewership. And look, this is only two games. And I think that once we get into micro betting, the type of stuff that Simple Bet is doing and probably some others, you will you'll probably have more engagement that's actually tied to watching the games because you're going to be wanting to bet as the games go along. But as sports betting stands now, it is pretty unclear how much impact there actually is on viewership. Well, remember, on top of it, I sort of believe that most people who were big NFL bettors were betting with or without it being legal. And so... You know, how do you get new people into the ecosystem? You probably need new forms of betting rather than just legalization. To your point, betting, betting on, I think, yeah, I mean, not, oh, to, not to say that in-game betting didn't exist before, but I think you know to expand the market, that's going to make some of the viewership a lot more exciting. Although some of the stats that Penn has put out there, especially, show that um, there's been a age down in sports betting. Because younger um, people in, are barstool fans. On mobile. Yeah, I mean, barstool is one of them. and it, But it wasn't just their stats that they that I believe they've put out there. That's, so, I think it was, that, that has to be optimistic for the sports leagues, though, right? If they have younger people betting, then maybe that could help ratings. I mean, obviously, you would argue that those are the youths. The youths that were, <laughs> that were the two youths that were um, already watching sports. But who knows? You know, maybe it catches but you on. The issue is still keeping people who are sports fans engaged in watching right. games on television because yeah. that's where the value comes from. Casual fans is critical to the NFL or to any sport on TV is casual fans, and that's where they're losing people. So I don't know if betting really makes a difference in that category, which is the bigger problem. Let's talk well, about something we'll else affecting youth, which is uh, Snapchat. So Snapchat did something, you know, we've been talking for a couple of weeks how Snapchat was sort of getting more interested in influencers. What they did this week um, was they actually made it so that there's a new section. Before, when you swiped, I guess when you swiped left on Snapchat, it brought up the first screen on the right, which was all about kind of discover content. And then if you swiped left again, so it brought up the far right side screen, it brought up basically series. Looks like they've killed that. They've made it into this new thing called Spotlight. Spotlight feels an awful lot like TikTok, but it's all company reviewed, meaning anything that's on Spotlight is reviewed by the company. So it's very brand safe. And they're basically putting up a million dollars a day to whoever is the most successful videos within Spotlight. And so they're basically encouraging people to create great UGC content and submit it into the system. Not exactly the TikTok, you know, it's certainly not the serendipity of the way the algorithm just runs things within TikTok, but definitely well, shows that they're trying to go after that sort well, of Rich, those creators. In a, in a way, I mean, it's definitely targeting TikTok, right? And totally. I think one of the things about TikTok is it's not actually influencer driven. 
it's it's much more democratic than that or meritocratic, probably. Well, this probably is, too, to be fair. Right. I mean, anybody could submit into this. That, I mean, no, that's what I'm saying. Any anyone can can submit a video and on the merits of the video, how much it's shared and and other engagement metrics is is how things are going to rise to the top and how these creators are going to get paid. It seems very similar to TikTok, except TikTok isn't cool. paying anyone. But but there's one thing we've talked about, Brandon, in that when we, whenever we've talked about Snapchat from the first day we met Evan Spiegel, we talked about how content really couldn't go viral because it wasn't a social network. Now you actually have the for the first time ever on Snapchat. If you make something great, yeah, it can it can actually go viral. Well, I but, think there's multiple things that Evan has abandoned in terms of his his old religion. Yeah. And and uh, one of those is virality. Another is a move away from everything being just about who your close friends are. So is the review by Snap for which? Sorry, Brandon, sorry. No, I was going to say which the embracing of influencer and this sort of embrace of whoever's making the best content, whether it's your friends or not sort of falls into that category. And the other thing I wanted to say is, Evan, if we go back in time, bitched quite a bit about Facebook targeting them, trying to rip them off. And he's sort of taken a page from Facebook's playbook and is going right at TikTok, whether it's um, with this launch, or even if you look at the Voicey acquisition, which I think occurred right before last week's podcast, where they bought tools that up on the for, oh, is that, okay, so yep. we actually have that, all right, um, for music creation, they're, they're trying to put real tools in the hands of creators so that they can make better UGC content to enhance the platform. I guess they had done that with filters anyway, to a certain extent, but the voicey in particular is like pretty much the, the TikTok of music where the, where they're giving normal people tools to create great music. So is, is snap um, reviewing this just for the appropriateness of the content or are they, if they, if someone submits a, um, a clip that they think is just silly or stupid, that they just won't put it through or maybe, you know, even slightly um, non PC, they just won't put it through. We don't actually know how exactly, you know, everything is reviewed, presumably nothing inappropriate. I'm assuming nothing overly political. I mean, who knows exactly what's defined as what, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on TikTok that I think many people would find inappropriate, but they're hilarious videos and they actually do get a lot of virility. So if you're having somebody there, choosing what they think is funny or not, don't you effectively lose the power of a platform where you're sourcing so much great stuff and letting the people decide as opposed to someone decide? And who is that person? And what is their demographic? It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, Hopefully we're going to find out soon. But I will say that Snap, more than all the other companies, the, the sort of the thing they take from a religious standpoint is brand safety and that that's why they've sort of moved. They've never liked public user-generated content because they were so worried about what it could do to influencing people's opinions, 
you know, all the challenges that we've seen in and around, you know, Facebook and Twitter and et cetera, it's just been religion for Evan of like not wanting to be in that. And so my guess is they're going to err on the side of being really conservative in terms of what's allowed within Spotlight, which may make it less fun to your point. Uh, let's move on. So we've got a leak next. There was uh, this uh, happened over the weekend, but it sort of caught fire on Monday. This is a video that leaked out in France. I'm going to play the video uh, just for a second. For those who are listening and not watching, we're going to have to explain what's going on in this video, Rich. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's basically it's showing music. a whole bunch of it's showing a whole bunch of Disney content that's people have assumed might have to do with the analyst day on December 10th. And it's telling when the content actually is coming out. But it does two things that are really interesting. One, it highlights the fact that there's this thing called Disney 18 plus. Uh, look, this could be totally a fake. I mean, there's no doubt there's lots of creative people with way too much time. But the bottom of the slide, the, the, the very end of it says Disney 18 plus launching April 2021. Now, it's interesting because Disney's supposed to be coming out at their analyst day and launching the service called Star. Yeah. And Star and Star is supposed to be the overseas, more adult, more mature um, version of, of Disney with all of the Fox content, whether it be things like Modern Family or Deadpool. And so seeing Deadpool and Modern Family on something called Disney 18 plus, first of all, Disney 18 plus is weird. Now they have gotten Twitter URLs or Twitter handles for those accounts. And so they have, you know, they have Disney star, they have Disney eight, you know, there's who knows what they're doing. The point, I think the, the, the larger point really is here is that it seems like Disney starting to realize or has realized that they need to make it easy to have more content embedded together within Disney plus. And whether that's Disney star or Disney 18 plus, it looks like there'll be some form. Or maybe of they're the same thing. And in different countries, they'll be called different things. That's possible it, too. It's possible. Disney star could be just in Asia and it could be Disney 18 plus in other markets. It's hard to imagine it's a U.S. product because there's Hulu in the U.S. where all those rights are. And so it's it's not exactly clear. I mean, again, this could be totally fake. It's gotten everyone very interested and excited. I mean, it shows things like Black Widow premiere access in April rather than, I mean, who knows? Does that mean it goes to movie theaters for a few weeks? Does it go straight to premiere access and is skipping movie theaters? It almost raises more questions than answers. But I think it's an interesting launching point just because there is this view that we've had, and I think you've seen several large Disney shareholders express the view of like, stop having all these silos, like stop doing all these different things and making it really confusing on the consumer. You know, one of the things that um, just to, to kind of highlight this exact point, Disney just this week released a Taylor Swift doc to Disney plus not to Hulu. And I sort of looked at it and I said, Taylor Swift doesn't really feel like a Disney plus product. It really felt like that might be something that more might fit demographic wise with Hulu. Yet it comes out on Disney plus. And, you know, this is just, this was as of two days after it came out. This is the top 10 order on Disney plus, but it's Mandalorian Simpsons home alone, Mickey Mouse's clubhouse, frozen Moana. Like it doesn't seem like Taylor Swift blows up on a service like this just because it's well, not what I, people are there for. I, I think this content also doesn't generally this type of content doesn't really do that well generally in in 
garnering a broad audience, even popular music, like watching studio outtakes. Meaning just but just not broadly appealing enough. Generally, it's it's not. But. I, I just feel like if they had one service where everything was together, it would give everyone more reasons to keep touching the service versus opening up different things for, you know, you just never know where things are going to be. Like my kids were surprised that this Taylor Swift was here. I think the last one was on Netflix. Like, you know, the point is, is like having a place where all content can live yeah. would be easier. It cuts for down the on some of the content decisions <laughs> that, it, that have to be made that we still don't really fully know who is actually making them. No, I think it's really confusing, like how you choose. And I think every single media company is going through this right now of like who decides what goes where and when, what goes to TV, what goes to which streaming platform. Many of these companies have multiple things that they're doing. And it's just getting I think it's just getting very confusing to consumers more than anything else. Let's move on to PlayStation. The impossible to get PlayStation 5. I'll, I'll read this tweet. Sony calls the PlayStation 5 its, quote, largest console launch ever, promising restocks to meet demand by the end of 2020. Yeah, I mean, if, if you go through your Twitter feed, there is no shortage of people bitching because they can't get a PlayStation 5. And I actually yeah. got one. <laughs> do you think it's related to the fact that there is incredible demand? Is it pandemic slowdown in production? Like, how do you? No, I, I, th I think that they made as many as they could. And I think that they were thoughtful about it, as was Xbox. I think that there's a couple of things. One is um, there's definitely a people are playing a lot more video games okay. and people and people clearly want it. But the other thing that's happening right now is something that you see a lot in tickets and sneakers, which is bad actors who want to play middleman. And every time there's an on sale are pretty much gobbling up all of the inventory using bots. It's, I so this is the, this is the new Ticketmaster problem now in the and, world and, of and new and you've and you've seen it in sneakers also where it's, it's anything that's kind of limited that has a lot of a lot of demand encourages bad actors. I think Ticketmaster should probably be in charge of all of these on sales because they're actually the most used to dealing with with bots and the like. But I'll tell you how I wound up getting one is actually because i follow these sneaker accounts that tweet out and i have alerts on that tweet out when when sneaker drops go on sale and they were doing it for xbox and playstation and and that's how i wound up getting one which actually kept me up all night i was playing astro's playroom i probably so, got so like two hours sleep so, so you should have responded to Matt Ball on Twitter the other day and just said, you really should follow sneaker bots or sneaker accounts if you really want to get a PlayStation, because that's that's the right way to do it, not a blue well, checkmark. Soul Links is the and for anyone who is out there, put put uh, alerts on for Soul Links and it'll probably help you. I got mine from Target. Um, and Surprise, as members of Soho House also don't get um, access to uh <laughs> 
What up, Soho hey, House? If you're if you have a blue check mark and, you and you're get, in Soho House, you, and, and you can't you get, really should get a PlayStation Five. Look, I still can't get an iPhone 12 Pro. It's still on order for like middle December. I still can't get my phone. It's driving really? me crazy. Yeah, could, middle December. So my mom just texted me that she tried to get it and she ordered it online and it won't be coming until the end of the year. And I, I was know. like, why don't you just go to the Apple store? You can reserve one in the Apple store and then go and pick it up, which is exactly what I did. And when you're in the city, Rich, there's enough Apple stores that have probably priority inventory and just reserve it and go pick it up. That's it. Yeah, I just I was just surprised that it takes that long to get it on shipping. That's all. But one thing with with the PlayStation Xbox, a lot of people thought because of the incrementalism of the last generation and the continued updates that there may never be like a real mega console cycle again. And, so much for that. And so much for that, because the, there clearly is demand there. A lot of okay. demand. FCC, Walt, what's our update this week? Well, as you may recall, um, Commissioner O'Reilly did not get um, renominated by uh, the president, in part because of what he was saying about Section 230. And um, then there was um, someone, Simington, that was was elected. He's from Commerce. Actually, there was some news that came out earlier in the week how he was um, emailing with Laura Ingram of Fox News to try and get her to support uh, the administration on Section 230. So it's moving to this step where... Um, the Center Commerce Committee is going to vote on him on December 2nd. It's still probably unlikely that um, they're going to waste Senate floor time, which they're using now to approve judges in order to you know, try and get him in. For what reason? Like, what's the end game here? To have like a 2-2 tie at the FCC for tops five months? You know, and, and again, we don't even know how Georgia is going to turn out. If the Democrats take Georgia, then it's going to be less than five months in terms well, of how long they can hold this guy, hold it up. So like, what would a 2-2, what would a 2-2 at the FCC mean for five months? Like what major votes is anyone expecting in the next five or six months that um, you would care about you know, having a majority at that point? Well, but we also have to know, I mean, we're assuming Ajit leaves on January 20th. I mean, that's, that's what you would assume, correct? Well, so your point is that if Simington gets approved and then Ajit's in there, then on January 20th, it's a statute, like the administration gets the majority. So I don't know the function, whether you literally just fire pie, but you can't have right. three Republicans and right. and two Democrats after January 20th. So that will occur and then you'll be a 2-2. So I don't really believe that pie is going to stick around. So it could be that if Simington... Um, if Symington is not confirmed, um, and, it, and so then it would be, you know, if Pi left, it would be down to a 2-1. Um, but again, that just assumes Pi is going to stick around. People thought the same thing about Wheeler four years ago, um, and that actually didn't happen. Wheeler did not stick around. I, I just think that these, these commissioners, they don't want to announce that they're leaving because it creates kind of a lame duck scenario. So while Pi is not saying he's going to leave, I would guess that, um, you know, he will resign in due course like every other commissioner has. And then we get to probably just a period, assuming Georgia doesn't flip, we just basically have gridlock for a while, which sure. is what but it I mean, is. So you could say like, okay, they're going to hold out, but then, you know, like everything in, in DC, there's bargaining and they're going to want something and they'll trade one nominee for another. But again, you my think point the internet's going to work in the first half of 21 without net neutrality? 
I don't think that really matters, but as I don't think anyone believes that matters. But the point is that again, what's really getting held up in it? Like if Dish Direct TV right. gets announced next week or two weeks from now, and there's two two commissioners, like who cares? It's going to take more than five months for to evaluate that transaction right. anyway. So, Brandon, why don't we talk about what's going on with WWE this week? This is really surprising. Well, sure. I, this actually start. Well, uh, I guess I'll read the tweet. WWE crackdown on wrestlers' Twitch accounts is causing a lot of drama. So I, it started in the beginning of September. Vince sent out a letter to the talent saying that they cannot use their name and likeness, essentially, to make money away from WWE because it was harmful to to the company and what was going on is a a lot of wrestlers or at least a handful had become twitch streamers and were doing cameos to make money during the pandemic when touring was shut down because a lot of them were actually just reduced to their their minimum salaries they weren't getting really paid beyond that so they had extra time on their hand and they also had a need for money. And this is kind of escalated because after that, a lot of these streamers just started using their real names. And then Vince fired back about that and tried to crack down on that. And then hold on, let me just stop you because what I don't understand is if all of these streamers are on Twitch and they're wrestlers and wrestling is going to come back and we'll have normal wrestling and touring, wouldn't you want these people to be more famous Thank in the you. interim? Okay. Yes, like, you're, you're, you're pretty much getting to the punchline. Which well, is, what what talk, would be the we logic? We talk about this for WWE having an age problem, right? And for sports in general. And the idea is you need, and WWE's actually been good at this. They've embraced digital pretty strongly in the past. But don't you want your your talent, your wrestlers to go where younger people are and be able to relate to them. That's what I'm getting at. I I don't understand what the logic here is. I mean, what are they? It's not like they're making tons of money on Twitch and they're like hurting. I mean, it's like having an Instagram account. I guess it's some loss of control over um, how in a storyline driven um world how how they're portraying themselves i don't know exactly but to me if you look at why what's been great about the nba and how they've been able to relate to younger demos they've used social amazingly well and there have been essentially i'll call them storylines away from the court that have that have unfolded but the other thing here that's really interesting is Right at the beginning, you talked about how the Beacon Theater and doing these things and streaming live on Twitch. Now we're talking about WWE, you know, streaming live on Twitch. And I think where I'm going with this is sort of like it seems like Twitch live streaming just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And it's way beyond just streaming video games. Yeah, just that, That's like a major theme, I feel like, that we're just sort of sensing in the moment talk on the game, podcast. Yes. And, and we've spoken about this in the past non-video game streaming has eclipsed video game streaming on twitch and throughout the pandemic the idea of live streaming in general has really taken off i mean it's been highlighted by 
various companies. I remember Zuckerberg a couple of quarters ago. Oh, Maffei talked about it last numbers. week. Yep, Maffei talked about it as well. Rich, I saw a news report about, you know, there's this very popular show on Netflix right now, number one show of somebody playing chess. And the news report was saying that, you know, it's inspired everyone to play chess in the pandemic and that there's actually a lot of Twitch streaming of like people playing chess. (laughs) Uh, By the way, Netflix, and we talk about this also, captures the zeitgeist and makes people or not forces people, but inspires people to do things. Do you remember? I, I, I agree. I agree. We've had this debate before, but, and, and I agree with, with that conclusion. However, this is not Tiger King. I haven't watched it myself, but everyone that I've heard that has watched it has not joked about it and said, Oh yeah, it's cool. Like Tiger King. They said, it's actually very good, high quality programming. So I don't know how yeah, Netflix it's, it's has bubbled a, it. It's got a hundred in Rotten Tomatoes sure. and Metacritic. So, so I think it's, it's hard to make this comparison quality. to like the power of Netflix. It's not the power of Netflix. It's the power of their checkbook to buy really good content. That's the, that's the power in this particular situation. take a lot of shots on goal and see what sure. resonates. hundred percent. Yep. Because a lot of the content that's really resonating isn't even the most expensive content. But this one is succeeding not because Netflix is bubbling it to the top. I believe it's probably succeeding because it's good. It's just good content. But there's also but there's also this sort of narrative that like the you know, I hear this from people many times. They say, Well, Disney can drive theme park attendance and they can drive merchandise sales and there's like the so much more like a, a, a movie or a tv show is just not a movie or a tv show it be, has a larger life and i think what Walt's sort of pointing out is that big things on netflix just given its scale maybe they're not translating to huge you know dolls or toy sales yet but they're certainly translating into impacting culture chess whatever it may be but there's definitely a larger kind of zeitgeist that you know as you said brandon it's definitely impacting larger culture than just watching a video, you know, the piece of content. I bet if they wanted to have a bigger consumer products business, they probably could. So on that topic, Mandalorian season two, if anyone's listening from Disney's merchandise community or gaming community, please make a video game for season two, because that would be incredible. I would buy that. I would pay $49.99 or whatever they pay, whatever they charge for games, because season two has been phenomenal and they would definitely sell a great game off of season two, especially the last episode. You want to talk about whether we're ever going to have stores, Walt? Well, this is a tweet from our good friend, friend of the podcast, Jeff Moore. Changes for Cricket Nation, which is um, AT&T's acquisition of Leap from years ago. It's one of their prepaid distribution channels. No more corporate stores. 13 of stores close year on year. Exit from Best Buy. So I think this just brings up the whole topic of that, you know, the pandemic has obviously accelerated a lot of changes. Like, why should anyone have a store i mean you have corporate stores these you know well, years ago you well, hold, have hold on st- hold on let me just stop you because you wrote a piece before the whole pandemic about how many what percentage of phones were bought in stores just refresh everybody 70 what to 80 percent of of purchases go through company stores we'll see if that it's hard to know if that's going to shift because basically sales are down so much um during covid people aren't going to the stores um but look it's it's you know the, the question is not whether you should have stores it's whether you should own stores. And in the old days, like you would have a certain quality of an AT&T or Verizon store that authorized dealers could replicate. But, you know, the authorized dealers have have kind of 
um, consolidated themselves, they, that you can provide some certain qualities. I mean, we, we've had some debates on Twitter with also a friend of the podcast, um, more friends of the podcast from, uh, from Boost, um, Peter Adderton, talking about how his buddies at Yum Brands have, have moved off of, of company-owned stores. So the, so the question is like ownership versus paying those variable expenses. And maybe you, you, know, maybe you give these guys an opportunity uh, in the future to make higher commissions to get what is really a highly paid, you know, think about the, the benefits of an AT&T employee or a Verizon employee at a company-owned store versus the costs that would, that would be incurred if that was um, pushed off to an authorized dealer. A totally different scenario and maybe lowers the cost structure of the overall distribution channel. It seems inevitable. I mean, honestly, like it just, it, it, I mean, first of all, I don't, I, it's hard for me to understand why it was so high before the pandemic, just percentage wise in terms of, because it seems well, like something that's so in, easy to buy I can at tell home. you the answer. Part of this, part of the, um, the reason started a couple of years ago when Mike Sievert as COO of T-Mobile wrote this blog about like the, you know, bricks, the end of bricks and mortar was overdone. And like, they, they did a big push in terms of adding bunches of stores, many of them retail own. And then their competitors, like many things over the years, followed T-Mobile and started doing their own stores. And now I think you're seeing a recoil. T-Mobile, I think is doing it much more quietly. Um, we'll see how that, how that kind of rolls out with AT&T and Verizon in the upcoming years. Got it. Um, let's move to um, the HBO, um, this came out just after our podcast. It always happens where just after we finish our podcast, breaking news sort of hits. And we had kind of assumed, I mean, we had written a piece probably two months ago on HBO or maybe three or four months ago now, basically saying that HBO was not going to cave to Amazon on being part of channels that basically, if you were going to go out and hire Jason Kylar and go out and spend all of this money on HBO max, there was no way you were going to allow your content to be unbundled and put into Amazon channels. And just to remind everyone, Amazon channels means they disaggregate. Um, you know, basically they they create this sort of experience where you're buying, you know, HBO Max in this, or you used to buy HBO on Amazon channels, and you would use the Amazon Prime Video Player. You wouldn't use the HBO app or HBO Go or now. You would just use Amazon. And it basically was like you were just living in Amazon and you kind of forgot that you were living on HBO. And it's very clear that, that the whole point of sort of HBO Max is to take on Netflix, to build a really diversified service, to build a place where you go to that app. And that is the experience, whether just like Netflix, just like Disney Plus, just like Hulu. That's what HBO is doing. And what's interesting is this tweet from Alex Sherman says HBO will disappear from Amazon channels when that deal separate from the HBO Max agreement expires next year. So in 2021, there will be no HBO within Amazon channels. It still exists today, but eventually they'll just be an HBO Max. And we think ultimately it'll just be called HBO again. The Max brand will ultimately fade. But this is really important because it shows that HBO won the battle with Amazon. There was a whole debate over who caved. Now we know HBO actually won that battle and they stood to their they stuck to their stuck to their ground and they persevered with the content they have coming out, which is just, I think, good for content owners as they look out kind of the war between distributors, platforms like um, Amazon and um, apps like HBO Max. Yeah. Now HBO will own the customer relationship, own the data and be able to billing, do billing a, a lot of the things that that Netflix has been able to do. Um, 
you know, it's it's still pretty risky, isn't it? Because Amazon accounts for probably the majority of the subscriptions for HBO over the top, if you want to call it HBO. I don't know what you want to call it, HBO Max. For the old HBO now, it was probably 70 plus percent of subscription. So out of, you know, it probably was at, at the peak, eight plus million and maybe even 10 million and eight, 70, 80 percent of that came from Amazon. So this is really betting on yourself. Yeah, I mean, Amazon has proven that they're not just the, the best retailer in terms of physical goods, but they're an amazing retailer of digital goods as well and digital services. And we'll we'll see if HBO is able to achieve the same success without them. But it was an important strategic to move to make nonetheless. Well, I'm going to jump. Uh, it, I'm going to go out of order just because what you just said, I think, is an important data point. We've got Discovery launching their Discovery Plus this week, and I do believe they're going to use channel stores, Brandon. Like, I do believe that they're going to work with – I don't think they have enough market power to do this totally on their own, nor the financial wherewithal to go out and promote it that heavily. So I do think you're going to see them use Amazon stores and Roku channels, things like that, to promote Discovery Plus, which will mean – they're giving up some of that customer relationship. They'll end up with more subscribers, but less of a direct relationship with those subscribers. And, you know, I mean, we'll no see. No offense this- to Discovery, but they're not even on the same ballpark in terms of the content as HBO. Right? <laughs> well, it's certainly very different content. Well, and it's going to be priced a lot cheaper. You're probably looking at $6 versus 15 So, yes, the price point certainly acknowledges that, Walt. And look, we don't even know exactly. We know there'll be a lot of library content on Discovery+. Plus. But we don't know what the original strategy is going to be and sort of how aggressive are they going to be on spending on, on new and if it's six dollars, is that is that even low enough? Because sometimes I feel like you pay up for the best Compared stuff. You get Plus, what you pay right? well, you get what you pay for, but exactly. So it's six dollars. Like sometimes you can't pay low enough for product that's has a very, you know, small group of people that might be interested in it. The point there is that they're in a sub grab because they think that's probably the way to to juice the stock price. I mean, we've seen CVS, Viacom work for a little bit because Paramount Plus was uh, was attractive to investors in terms of that stock becoming a sub game, like Disney did with it, it, with right. Disney Plus. And I'm sure Zaslav sees that and is like, okay, we we need a sub story. And they're going to grab for the most subs that they possibly can get. Makes total which sense. Which means employing Amazon and but, Roku channels and whatever it takes. But, it, to but get is six dollars? But is six dollars the right number to drive it? And like, how soon is six going to become five or four? Like, is six the, the well, right we'll, number? We'll Rich? see if six actually is the number because well, let's say it, let's assume it, that it is because that's yeah. that's a nice round five ninety nine. What's <laughs> what's the? Uh, do you think that's but, is that low but, enough, Rich? Well, but hold, but hold on you probably give up half of that to Amazon. Like you're giving up a lot of economics to Amazon and you're giving up your customer relationship. So, you know, at some point someone's, you know, going to really try to compare these things. Like, you know, oh, hold on, but, but, to, but Brandon's point, which I agree with a hundred percent. And I've said the same thing about why um, AT&T should push a lot of these movies to HBO max to drive units is that the market cap will be rewarded with the units, meaning the subscribers. So I could give a right. shit if, it's, it's, if they give up to half to Amazon. The question is, AT&T what is the price? To the, what is the price to the consumer that is going to drive units is six, the right number for that content. I think it's less about price and far more about the the how okay. 
how must have is the content? Like, do they have things? And we ask this the same con- question. But you know what the content is, though. I'm, I'm asking specifically about discovery. Yeah, but I don't think it's about. I mean, look, the catalog. I'm will sure be nice. they'll leverage this, the script stuff to do some neatly packaged. Or Oprah. Like, does Oprah have a? You know, is there going to be a prime? You know, a major Oprah show once a okay. week for X number of weeks? I mean, those are the types of things that I think investors are going to be looking for to judge success or failure. But to your point, Walt, because I think it is really important on, on HBO uh, and HBO Max. Here's a tweet from uh, Casey Bloys, the head of HBO, HBO Max now, tweeting out, HBO's industry is your corporately mandated Thanksgiving binge. And if everyone checks their HBO Max right now, they'll notice that the all the remaining episodes of industry dropped today. So I think only two had aired so far. Yes, and, and, and I have to admit that that I trolled Casey when he tweeted this because I immediately went to HBO Max and only saw two episodes. I obviously didn't, even though Twitter so is forcing me to read the article. Walt, imagine that someone on Twitter not clicking and reading the article before responding or retweeting. Uh, although they do force you like, to do that now before retweeting, yeah. um, <laughs> which actually that happened to me also. I was about to retweet something but and then I got forced to actually Walt. read the thing. But look, I troll we'll never shy incorrect. away from a chance to troll. That's true. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, looking for you. <laughs> I am looking for you out there. He's with your, looking with your for trolls anywhere I can dunk on you. But look, Rich, I mean, you should step in here because I mean, to me, this is the validation of stuff we talked about in episode whatever, where, you know, this concept of like dumping all the episodes as opposed to eking them out like two or three at a time or whatever it is. Well, what's amazing about this is it's still going to air week to week on HBO. So it still is going to air for the next whatever, six weeks on HBO. But they're saying, hey, if you if you start using HBO Max and stop using HBO, so stop using your cable system, yeah, more stop using that old thing, start using this new app. You can watch every episode. Same thing with Wonder Woman on Christmas Day. It won't be on HBO. It'll be on HBO Max. And so they're trying to really give consumers a compelling reason. Yep. to make the leap to max, which is exactly what they should do. Yep. And hopefully, hopefully what they're doing with industry becomes a trend. And I would like every single HBO series over the course of the next year, they should put very quickly, dump all the episodes on max and make it sort of, that's your Netflix like destination. If you want to keep HBO fine, keep watching week to week, but you want to really binge like Netflix, you can watch them all. I think it's a brilliant like the argument. The argument against that, I would say from my personal experience is Disney plus and, and Mandalorian. And like that keeps my subscription on Disney plus um, to watch the Mandalorian from week to week. It's actually creating even a social experience with friends that are really into, into Mando as well. So there are, you know, I can still understand at least for some platforms, the, you know, week to week, if, if you don't have as deep a library as something like, Netflix or even HBO Max. Agreed. Uh, I mean, I'd look, if you don't have enough content, stretching makes sense. I think when you look at the totality of HBO content, even before you get to Max exclusive content, there's plenty of content for the full year. Now there's going to be way enough content. I just think they have to get, I mean, last quarter they ended with only 9 million of 29 million people who had access to Max using Max or nine of 27, something like that. I think it was nine of 27. They got to get those remaining people over onto Max because it's that's where that's where the the, the long term story is. And I think you're going to see an app refresh before the end of the year. That's going to make you very happy in terms of the experience relative to where you are today. You know, what's also fascinating to go back to Mandalorian um, is 
that they're dropping a lot of, of Easter eggs. They're they're <laughs> dropping a lot of Easter eggs in there um, that reference some of the other series like Clone Wars, Rebels, and even the movies. That you know maybe that I, I'd be very interested to see if Disney ever talks about how that's driven additional usage of uh, some of the other library content that someone I had never looked at clone wars or rebels, right. but I'm definitely considering doing it based on some of the Easter eggs that have been dropped into this Mandalorian series, which is, which by the way, Mando is better than most of the star Wars movies. Just, just to put that out there. Is that why clone wars is, is top 10 on Disney plus. Do you think it's being driven? I mean, that's it's, a great point. That's very possible. I'd love to hear their commentary on that, but again, they're, they, they do it. Um, these people do a great job at like just integrating content from the movies as well as the Clone Wars and Rebels that um, into the existing, th- which almost forces you to go back and, and watch some of this stuff just out of curiosity. Again, primarily because Mando is so good. I mean, I don't know if this other content is going to be as good, but um, you know, it's it's a it's a fascinating kind of, as Brandy would say, flywheel. Walt, I have a question. Yes. Okay. Do you like the Mandalorian? <laughs> Has that not been clear? <laughs> Okay. Give me the video uh, game. <laughs> digital. This is from John Oran, Sports Business Journal. Digital platforms are circling for the NFL Sunday ticket, but they're going to have to wait a little bit. Basically, the premise is, is that the NFL supposedly is going to do all of their linear deals before they get to Sunday ticket. Probably not shocking because we've always thought that the likely winner of Sunday ticket uh, is going to be a digital bidder. And so it sort of would make yeah. sense to get all of the traditional bidders out of the way first more, you know, since we think all these packages are probably going to go to linear kind of traditional TV networks. I mean, there might be some simulcast on streaming, but the the real question or what I found most interesting in this tweet uh, or story is that there's buried in it. It says so far, Amazon prime ESPN plus Peacock and the zone have shown some interest though. None have entered into formal talks about Sunday ticket yet. I have nothing surprises me about Amazon Prime, ESPN Plus, or DAZN. But Brandon, Peacock shocks me because Peacock doesn't really seem to care about their SVOD strategy. It seems to be and, all about AVOD. Right. And also add, adding on a separate subscription, possibly, which is which is what this will be. There's no way the content is just integrated into the service. Well, Peacock just, is shifting the EPL games. Or the NBC, no, I, Comcast I, is shipping the EPL games to. I, I know, Peacock. but but Sunday they don't charge you extra. Is going to Not be yet. a a distinct extra subscription. I I wouldn't be surprised if this is shared among multiple retailers, digital retailers. Uh, I'll tell you, not I, seeing I Apple's the name NFL, in there was surprising the NFL's, to me. The NFL's goal is twofold, right? It's one to you know, capture the the most amount of money, but it's also to get their content exposed to the most people. And uh, you could probably marry those two goals by having it non-exclusive and having Amazon, who we just said is an amazing digital retailer. Yeah, I, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you because if Amazon wants this for $2 billion a year, they should just take it. It's pennies in the scheme of Amazon. And if they can sell it better than anyone else, they should just own it exclusively. There's far more power in exclusivity than there is in you know shared content. Like I just, I just, I feel like this is Amazon's to lose. Like they want it. The NFL needs a digital bidder. Yes, ESPN Plus would be nice, but the reality is that's still Disney. They need to bring in new brands, people that have never bid on sports content before in a big way. 
I think the Amazon coming in at a, you know, call it a billion, seven, two billion, whatever the number is, that's what the NFL needs for its future. I don't know. We'll see. Well, and by the way, Amazon makes sense because it fits seamlessly with, with the channel stores. Yes, exactly. It's perfect. Okay. Um, T-Mobile. Walt, I don't understand. Well, well, this is, I, well, wait a minute. You're the one that should understand. You're the media guy, but this was part of the, the latest version of um, T-Mobile trying to get into television. They started with buying the box. That's now been written off. Um, and now that it was online streaming, we talked about having this separate bundle of content. And then I think you were the one tweeting about the fact that like, I don't think the content owners think that this is possible. And apparently they were correct because as this tweet says, T-Mobile says it will now give T-Vision Live customers free access to 30 plus T-Vision Vibe channels. This, these are the, the Vibes or the Viacom ones, I assume. The, the move comes after pay TV executives complained that T-Mobile wasn't adhering to carriage agreements. So how does this all happen, Rich? Explain this to uh, us. Well, well T-Vision Vibe was basically, it was Discovery and Viacom. It was basically the non-broadcast network channels. It was sort of like the everything else. And they were charging you $10 more per month. And all of the networks were like, I don't think you can actually do that. Our contracts don't allow you to bundle like that and offer our channels like that. And so... What I said when I, when I said I don't understand, I didn't understand how T-Mobile goes through this like big press announcement, makes a whole big deal, makes all these videos to describe the product and the offerings, and then three weeks later changes the offering to incorporate those channels, which then raises the cost, which probably makes it no longer profitable at the price points they were marketing it at. And it's like- At the time we, we were speculated whether it was intentional so they could highlight how bad the content guys are, but there has been no follow-up like that. So I think it was probably just a okay. fuck up. Right. It would be one thing if you got Mike Sievert was literally on Twitter every day now saying, look, I told you, we try to do something right. innovative. They don't let us. These right. are big, bad programmers. That's why, you know, no, the but, bundle but in is fact, so much they trouble. made the adjustment to say like, oh, aren't we great for giving me these three channels? Like, no, you fucked it up and I'm not <laughs> understanding your content <laughs> relationships. Uh, I just think the it, answer. It, the, the, the bottom line is it just shows how hard it is to innovate on the bundle. Everyone keeps trying all of these MVPDs. I mean, FUBU TV started out as like a, you know, $8, you know, service. Now it's up to $65. Like it's just hard. Well, Richard also things. underscores why people should stick to their knitting and worry about integrating Netflix, which have been wildly successful for T-Mobile yes. or what Verizon has done with D plus, as opposed to try and do things on your own. So, you know, just because I thought we're today is Black Friday, I thought it was important to kind of showcase Pinterest. So we've got two screenshots from Pinterest that I took this morning. And I think they're really interesting because it just shows how Pinterest is doing more and more to become a shopping site. It's sort of a visual form of, you know, kind of like Google image search, but all tied to shopping. And so here you have Black Friday deals happening now. It's actually like a dedicated shopping area. And you see, you know, all types of products that sort of relate to probably things that I have looked at or checked out. There's a Pinterest shop gift guide and everything is point to click to buy. And it sort of just continues to highlight we're very early in sort of the migration of advertising to commerce on Pinterest and especially on a global basis. But there's a Rich, this is the future. I think Pinterest thinks you're a woman. <laughs> um, why? I like to cook. <laughs> I really do like to cook. Well, look I at actually the have that crock pot. That, that's or not that's the, a uh, female coat that you're being advertised on a female. Well, and it's a gift. At at, who knows? Maybe it's buying presents for your okay. wife or significant other on you know Black Friday. The holidays are coming up, right? Okay. 
I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I just think it's interesting how they're they're increasingly increasing the visibility of point to buy. OK, we've got our last slide um, for the day. We always try to end on something um, interesting and fun. This is by far the most interesting of the week. Walt, I think this requires you to cue it up. Should I play the video or you want to talk first? This is um, what's his cousin Eddie, otherwise known by the by from the actor Randy Quaid, um, that the president, uh, President Trump, um, retweeted, and the title is "Time to Make OAN and Newsmax Rich." Fox is dead to me, and it was a very interesting video that um, the cousin. We're going to play a little. We're going to play a little, Randy. Fox News daytime ratings have completely collapsed. Weekend daytime, even worse. Very sad to watch this happen. But they forgot the way Jesus. <sighs> they I'm forgot scared. what made them successful. It is red and green flashing light, so it's very Christmassy. Very Christmassy. Oh, it almost looks like Santa Claus. Not quite. No, you know, it looks like that new Santa Claus movie where like, Santa Claus is like a murderer or something. You see that trailer? Is that like Bad Santa or something? It's worse. It's like a very dark, rated R Santa Claus movie. I think it's Paramount. The only reason I bring up that tweet is is it's it's sort of like there there's this narrative out there that Fox News is going to die because Trump is directing people away to OAN and I mean these others and that he's going to create his own streaming network and it, it's I think it's just important for people to realize that Fox News was an incredibly successful business uh you know whether you liked it or hated it before 2016's election Fox News was a really good business had built up massive scale and profitability and it, it's sort of like the 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 story of talking points now is that like this is all going to kill it and it's all going to come crumbling down. Maybe it weakens a little bit, but I, I'm just sort of amazed by the fear of like just how how worried some people are about how fast this craters. Trump has been very powerful at moving his base to where to, wherever he wants them to, to be or whatever he wants them to believe. So I think that's wh- where. It gets scary. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think Parler, I still see everyone on Twitter. It's a very loyal following. Has Uh, Trump actually tried to move anyone to Parler? His his followers certainly have. I don't know. I just think at the end of the day, this is a lot of uh, my my gut is, is that it's going to be very hard to move the, 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 the amount of traffic off of this platform, especially to a streaming platform. I just think it's going to take time. It's, it's an older demographic. I mean, the average Fox news viewer is yeah, what? That's a, great, 70? That's, a great, that's a great point. It's a 70 year old audience. Like, yeah. yes, I'm and sure that, they have Roku. demo is still on television. <laughs> Look, they're embracing Roku and Amazon for sure. I don't want to say they're not, but it is a very linear older demo that's going to be more difficult to go after. And I don't think anyone I've talked to really believes Trump or anyone else is going to create a cable network like we have today. It's all about creating a digital business. So I think it's safer than people realize it may get hurt. It's certainly going to be a down year just for all news ratings after what's happened in the last year. Yep. Okay. That's it. Happy uh, for weekend. listening, everyone.
have a great Bye. Thanksgiving weekend. Bye.